0: Well, good morning, Emmanuel Covenant Church. Uh, It is great to be with you this morning. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Matt Anderson, and I am in the process of planting a covenant church called The Story uh, down in the Powderhorn neighborhood of South Minneapolis. Uh, I had the privilege of being with all of you back on Super Bowl Sunday, uh, but for those of you who maybe weren't here then or as a little bit of a refresher on who I am, uh, my brother is Tim Anderson, who's on staff here. Many of you know who he is. Uh, Chris Dedensky, your senior <coughs> pastor here at ECC. He was actually my supervisor over a decade ago when I interned in the youth department at North Heights Lutheran Church. And Chris even co-officiated my wedding. Uh, I've been married to my wife Sally for over 12 years now, and we have three young kids, eight and younger. Uh, life is... A riotous adventure for us. So that's a little bit about me. I also just have to say I'm incredibly excited that I get to wear short sleeves on March 15th. I am fully embracing that. This is a good day. Um, But if you've been here the last few weeks, you know that we're going through a series right now on Paul's letter to the Romans from the New Testament, and we've been looking at the road that we're invited to travel on this journey of faith. With Jesus, with Paul giving us some road signs that will be helpful to us in how to best do that. Now, to introduce today's topic, which is faith or being faithful, I want to bring you back to August 18th, 2002. One of the most defining days in human history, or at least one of the most defining days in my human history. It was my wedding day. Uh, I know some of you are probably scratching your minds like, what was August 18th, 2002? Uh, As you can see, Sally and I were 14 years old when we got married. We were (laughs) betrothed from birth by our parents. Uh, Not really, but you wouldn't know that from the picture. Uh, But like most wedding days, our wedding day was magical. And it was magical in part because of the months and years that led up to that day. Uh, I met Sally during our freshman year at Bethel College in probably the most romantic setting possible. We were part of a group that was heading out to tp northwestern college and uh... you know stuff of love stories right there but uh... you know that day did mark the beginning of me falling head over heels for this blonde girl who was the most beautiful person that i had ever met inside and out i mean i was incredibly attracted to her she had this infectious faith and a spirit that was so pure and genuine that i knew immediately that if she wasn't the girl that i was going to marry someday that I wanted to marry a girl just like her. That's the truth. Now, it wasn't all smooth sailing. Uh, Like any good love story, there were twists and turns. We had our share of drama. Uh, Like the day before our two-month anniversary, when out of the blue, she just dumped me like that. Didn't see it coming. That was fun. Uh, (laughs) Or six months later, when she told me, and I quote, I will never date you again. That was fun to hear. Uh, three months later, we were dating again, this time for good, and I asked her at that point if it was my irresistible charm or my breathtaking good looks that wooed her back to me. She said it was neither. Uh, she just realized I'll probably be as good as it gets. <laughs> I'm still not sure how to take that. Um, but a little less than a year after we started dating for the second time, we were engaged. And about a year after that came our wedding day, August 18, 2002. Now, I remember waking up that morning after a night where I could hardly sleep. I was so excited. I mean, this was a day years in the making. In a very real sense, it was the culmination of our relationship to that point. And yet, on the other hand, it was also really just the beginning of our new life together. I can still remember the pictures. I remember the heat and the sunshine of that beautiful August day. Uh, I remember the special friendships that were represented in our wedding party. It was such a blessing to be surrounded by such support. Uh, I remember the gift it was to have my dad involved in officiating our wedding ceremony and performing our vows. You can see Chris there next to him as well in that picture. Uh, I remember the flowers. I remember the cake. I remember Sally's dress and how beautiful she looked walking down the aisle. Uh, And I also remember her dad's death stare as he uh, handed her off to me. But uh, more than anything, I remember the vows that we made as if they were made yesterday. I, Matt, take you, Sally, to have and to hold under this contract, witnessed before these witnesses, for better or for worse, as long as you do the same. I proclaim myself without further contractual (laughs) obligations until such time as this marriage contract becomes null and void in a court of law. Still brings tears to my eyes. Um, no, you don't know me well, but hopefully you know me well enough. Those were not our vows. And yet, uh, as ridiculous as that sounds, it's often how we view marriage in our culture today, as if it's a contract. You know, I'll do my part as long as you do your part, because that's what a contract is. That's what a contract does. A contract is a commitment to terms more than it's a commitment to a person a contract is conditional often we enter into a contract first looking out for how we're going to benefit from it and then in exchange we will give you something that will be beneficial to you but once the contract ceases to meet those terms or once you stop receiving from the other party the benefits that you agreed on in the contract well then it's null and void and we go our separate ways But marriage was never meant to be a contract based relationship Marriage is a covenant. It's a covenant-based relationship, and there is a world of difference between those two things. You see, a covenant is far less a commitment to terms, and it's much more a commitment to a person. You're not committing to something. You're committing to someone. That's why our traditional wedding vows say that we're committing to each other for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, Because we're not committing to marriage primarily for the benefits we're expecting to receive from it. Rather, we're committing ourselves to the other person. Offering them the benefit of our loving support no matter the circumstances that they or we find ourselves in. And we're saying that in this covenant relationship, we're willing to take on the weight of the ups and the downs of the relationship because we're committed to the person and not just to terms. Now, you might be asking, what does this have to do with Romans, and in particular with today's topic of faith and being faithful in the book of Romans? I want you to hang with me here, because I think that this distinction between contract and covenant is foundational to how we understand so much, in particular, how we understand and read scripture, how we understand and relate to God, and how we understand and view today's topic of faith. Because, you see, foundational to the Jewish and the Christian understanding of the kind of relationship that God desires for us is covenant. We need to understand, first and foremost, God invites us into a covenant relationship and not a contract. You see, I think often we're conditioned to think of God's relation to us along contract terms. You know, that if we live up to our part, God will give us the things he's promised, you know, eternal life, heaven, whatever, however you want to fill in those blanks. But then if we fail to live up to the terms, well, punishment, hell awaits. And so we live in this fear, wondering if God's angry or if we've done the right things, if we've lived up enough to the terms to receive those benefits in return. And the good news of Scripture is that that is not how God relates to us. It's not. We are not in a contractual relationship with God. Instead, God has invited us into a covenant relationship with him. Throughout the Bible, we see God making covenants with people. He does it with Noah. He does it with Abraham. He does it with Israel. He does it with David. It's the way God relates to his people through a relationship where he commits himself to them and then asks for that same commitment to him in return, like a marriage. So when we get to Romans, we need to know this view of God and what he invites us into would have been foundational for Paul and for any first-century Jew first-century Christians as well. Paul understood our relationship with God in covenant terms. It's part of why you see marriage imagery used in the New Testament, with the church being called the Bride of Christ. We even see Paul allude to that imagery in chapter 7 of Romans, where he says that we're to be joined to Jesus, just as a woman is joined to her husband. And so it's within that context of covenant relationship that we'll best understand the concept of faith and being faithful Because I think for a lot of us as Christians today, we're really familiar with the idea that we're saved by faith. You know, it's in the Christian faith, it's not by our works or doing enough good things that we're saved. Romans chapter 3 verse 28 says, We are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. In fact, I think if I were to ask most people what it means that we're saved by faith, they'd say it means we're saved because of what we believe not by what we do. We can't earn our salvation. What saves us is whether or not we believe the right things. Namely, do we believe that Jesus is God, that he died for our sins and rose again? You know, do we believe the right things about God? Faith has become synonymous almost with intellectual belief. Can I check off the right boxes about God and about faith? I think there's a lot in Romans that could lead you to believe that belief alone, kind of intellectual belief, is what faith is, especially if you take faith out of the context of covenant relationship. But let's look at how Paul actually talks about faith in Romans and see if the shoe fits. Now, now as I read through Romans, and I read through it multiple times kind of in preparation for today's message, I even went through an exercise where I just wrote out every single verse in Romans that had the word faith or the concept of faith in it. And one of the things that I was struck by that I'd never noticed before is that the very first And the very last instance where faith is mentioned in Romans is found in the exact same phrase and context. So let's look and see what that is. The first time that faith comes up in Romans is a mere five verses into the book. In Romans 1 verse 5, uh, here's what Paul writes. He says, through Jesus, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about, and here's the key part, to bring about the obedience of faith. For the sake of his name among all the nations. Another translation says to bring about the obedience that comes from faith. So in the very first instance of Romans where we have faith mentioned, it's directly connected to obedience, the obedience of faith, the obedience that comes from faith. Now let's look at the last time that faith is mentioned in Romans. This time it's in chapter 16, verse 26, which is the second to last verse in Romans. And there, Paul writes, the gospel is now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that, again, here's the key part, all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. Or again, another translation says, the obedience of faith. So the obedience of faith. Romans is bookended by this view of faith that is directly connected with obedience, and help us understand how Paul can directly tie faith to obedience, I want us to take a brief look at what the Greek word is for faith. The word is pistis. I want you to say that with me once. Say pistis. Let's try that one more time. Pistis. There you go. If nothing else, if somebody asks you what you got from church, you can say you learned a little ancient Greek. So pistis. It is this word that we often translate in the Bible and in the New Testament as faith. Uh, But at the same time, the same word can also be translated as faithful or faithfulness. And so moving forward, here's how I want us to, to define and talk about faith. Let's define faith this way. Faith is a trust in or a commitment to someone or something. It's a trust in or a commitment to someone or something. We trust that the object of our faith is trustworthy. So for example, if I say I have faith in the chair that I was sitting on earlier, It means that I trust when I sit on it, it's going to support me. I have faith that the chair is going to do what a chair is supposed to do. Or let's look at it in the context of relationship. If I have faith in a person, I have trust in their character and that they are and they will be who they say they are, who they seem to be, and that they'll come through for me. Uh, Or on our wedding day, I was saying that I was declaring my faith in Sally to be who she had shown herself to be to that point and who she was promising and committing herself to be as my wife. And if I have faith in Jesus, it's not merely a belief about him, as if it's checking off the right boxes, but it's a belief in him, in the person of Jesus Christ. And so if you hear it said that Christianity is a relationship and not a religion, that's what that phrase is all about. Because we're not merely called to believe that certain propositions about God are true. It's not like God is looking for people who can ace a theological test. We're called to put our trust in the person of Jesus Christ. That's a relationship. And as we've been discussing, it's a covenant relationship. So faith in Jesus is saying, I trust that he is good, that I can count on him to do what he has said he will do, to save me, to give me life, to be there for me when I need him most. So faith is more than just intellectual belief. It's a trust in someone or something. Can you see the difference between those? So we have this word pistis, and it can be translated as faith. But like I said, it can also be translated as faithful or faithfulness. It's all encompassed in this word, and there are different dimensions because of that. But they're ultimately two sides of the same pistis coin. And I think Romans chapter 1, verse 5 and 16, verse 26, make it clear that Paul has both sides of the coin in mind when he's talking about faith. I'm not stretching things, I don't think, to say that how we understand faith in the book of Romans should be shaped by this fuller notion of both faith and faithfulness. And so let's look at how we define faithfulness. I think if I were to ask most people, they would say being faithful is being committed or devoted to something or someone. It's not so much about what you believe, but it's more about how you behave. It's acting in a way that's consistent with what you say you believe or what you say you'll do. So let's use this as our definition of faithfulness. Faithfulness is behavior that shows our commitment or trust in something or someone. Again, faithfulness is behavior that shows our commitment to or our trust in something or someone. So again, if I say I have faith in the chair but I refuse to sit on it because I'm worried it's going to collapse under my weight, then I'm not being faithful to what I say I believe about it. Or again, let's look at faithfulness in the context of relationship where it belongs in today's conversation. And let's go back to marriage again. If I make the vow, not that pretend contract vow that I said earlier, but a genuine covenant vow. That vow is my commitment of faithfulness to my bride. But if I were to then go off and live a life that's marked by selfishness, by deceit, lies, sleeping around, am I actually being faithful? I mean, even if I've said the vows and I'm legally married, those vows and that status mean very little if I'm not faithful. In the context of a covenant relationship, faith in someone calls us to be faithful to them. Don't miss that. Faith in someone calls us to be faithful to them. You can't separate faith from faithfulness. They're two sides of the same coin. Now, let's look and see if this is actually how pistis, how faith and faithfulness, play itself out in the book of Romans. And there's so many verses we could go through. I mean, Paul talks about faith a lot in Romans. But for time's sake, let's look primarily at Romans chapter 4 which is where Paul lifts up kind of his chief example of someone who's made right with God through faith, and that's Abraham. Now, in Romans chapter 4, Paul says this about Abraham. He says, for what does the scripture say? It says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, as you read through chapter 4 of Romans, there are parts of it that would make it sound like Paul is, is kind of saying, that it's not what Abraham did, but the mere fact that he believed, that made him right with God. But here's the million-dollar question. How do we know that Abraham believed? How do we know that Abraham had faith, that he trusted God? Well, Let's look at Genesis chapter 12, which is where God's call of Abraham occurs. And we'll pick it up with verse 1. It says, the Lord said to Abram, and that was Abraham's name before God called him. After the call, God changed his name to Abraham. That says, the Lord said to Abram, go, go from your country, from your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. Basically, God is inviting Abraham to let go of everything that he has known, everything that's comfortable, familiar, his support, his security in life. Leave all of that behind and trust me and I'll bring you to a land that I'm going to show you, even though you don't even know where that land is right now. So go and I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so then what does it say? It says, so Abram went as the Lord had told him. Now, what if at the end of verse 3 there, at the end of God's call, it, it says that Abraham believed God, thanked God for this gift of blessing, and then stayed put in his father's land till he died a peaceful death. I mean, would Abraham really then have had a faith that made him right with God? Would he have truly believed the way Paul talks about it? Do you think he would have been lifted up as this example of faith? Of course not. True faith manifests itself in faithfulness. We know Abraham had faith in God because he went. He had, as Paul put it, the obedience that comes from faith. Because people of faith are faithful people. I know that sounds so simple, but it's so true. People of faith, people who declare that they have faith in Jesus Christ are people who live lives that are faithful to Him. It's evident through the way they live their lives. The constant theme throughout Scripture, and Romans is perfectly consistent with it, if we have the eyes to see it, is that people of faith are faithful people. Faith and faithfulness go hand in hand, and faith loses its meaning apart from faithfulness. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, then, man, I've blown it. I've, I've been unfaithful. I'd say I have faith, but I haven't been faithful with, with my life. Here's the truth. I haven't either. None of us have been. You read through Scripture, apart from Christ, nobody gives us an example of a perfectly faithful life. And Paul addresses that head on in Romans. If you go through Romans 7, what he talks about there, I think would ring true with any of us is he spells out the human struggle this way. In Romans 7, Paul says, for what I want to do, I do not do. I have the desire to do what's good, but I can't carry it out. For the good that I want to do, I do not do. But the evil that I want to do, that's what I keep on doing. Earlier in Romans 3.23, Paul writes that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We've all been unfaithful. But here's the beautiful thing. In the very next verse, right after Paul has said that we've all sinned, we've all been unfaithful, He says, we are all justified freely by God's grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Despite every shortcoming you or I have ever had or ever will have, God has already offered his life, his grace, his love, his unconditional forgiveness to you. You can trust his character. He is unswervingly, unwaveringly good. And how do we know that? One well, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, which is, in my opinion, the most beautiful verse in all of Scripture, Paul writes this. He says, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were unfaithful, while we were completely turned away from him, as unfaithful as unfaithful can be, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He was faithful. That is the love of a covenant relationship. If God were a contract God, he might have just said, you know what, that's it. We're through. I'm done with you. You've sinned. You've been unfaithful. You haven't lived up to your end of the bargain. We're done. But That's not how God responds because God will always be faithful to us. And if we need proof, Paul says we don't need to look any further than the cross because the cross is the place where the God of covenant love says, I have committed myself to you, whether you remain faithful to me or not. In your unfaithfulness, I remain firmly faithful, so much so that I've given everything, even my very life, so that you can receive life and be in relationship with me. And that faithful love of God is why Paul is able to declare in Romans chapter 8, kind of the center of this book of Romans, Just this powerful passage where he says, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. I mean, that that pretty much means everything. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what does that mean for us today? Well, there are probably some of us here in this room who have never taken that step of putting our faith and our trust in the person of Jesus Christ. And today, maybe you're ready to make that commitment. You're ready to surrender your life to him, to pray a prayer where you commit your faithfulness and receive that gift of life. Now, sometimes in the church, I gotta be honest, we give the impression that if you just pray this prayer, you're good to go. And I think the result is we have lots of people who say, "Well," I prayed the prayer or I believe in Jesus or I have faith. But then they live their life as if God doesn't exist or live their life in a way that has surrendered nothing to Jesus. That's certainly not the kind of faith that Paul or the rest of Scripture talks about. Instead, again, think of it in marriage covenant terms. We're giving ourselves to him just as he has given himself to us. And so Jesus encourages us, count the cost when you put your faith in me recognize putting your faith in me is a lifelong commitment to surrender everything but in return we receive everything we receive life we receive relationship with him and today some might be ready to put their faith in the person of jesus christ now for others of us in this room you've made kind of the vows already so to speak maybe recently maybe decades ago You've placed your faith in Jesus. You've pledged your faithfulness to him. But if you're honest, you haven't always been faithful. Again, I haven't been faithful either. We all fall short. This side of resurrection, brokenness, and sin are still part of our reality. But in that case, our step is to repent. And the timing of this conversation is, is really perfect right now because we're in the church season known as Lent, and Lent is a time where we focus, among other things, on repentance. And repentance really, by definition, means to turn around, to turn from something, to change our behavior, change what we're doing. It's far more than just saying we're sorry for something. I mean, I could say I'm sorry for doing something, but if I don't change my behavior, I haven't really repented. So repentance is the recognition of our unfaithfulness in this covenant relationship, expressing our sorrow from it, but then turning away from that and towards faithful behavior, obedience, and trust in our God. And so for those who have already placed their faith in Jesus, I want you to identify some of those areas for repentance, areas where you haven't been faithful And so I'm going to give us a few minutes right now for reflection. I'm going to invite the band to come back up right now. And as they do so, they're going to play a song for you that will return us to this imagery of marriage, of covenant love, covenant faithfulness. Because this relationship with Jesus is one that one day will culminate in something even more beautiful than the most picture-perfect wedding you could ever imagine. I mean, Kim and Kanye got nothing on what's coming for us. Trust me. There will come a day where Jesus comes back to his creation, to his bride in a most tangible way where death will be no more, where we'll experience none of the pain, the sin, the heartache, the junk that separates us from God and the life and love that he offers us. And like a wedding day, that day will mark both the culmination of our covenant relationship with him and it will just be the beginning of a beautiful eternity spent with him. So as you listen to this song, again, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, I want you to just do this. Reflect on the cross. See it as the ultimate expression of a God who loves you so much that he gave his very life for you so that you could be restored into a relationship with him. And just ask if you're ready to put your trust and faith in Jesus and commit your faithfulness to him. Others of you, as you listen to the song, if you've already put your faith in Christ, ask the Holy Spirit to show you areas where maybe you haven't been faithful. Not to beat yourself up over it, to be ashamed of yourself, but so that you can repent and be faithful. So that you can experience the fullness of life that comes from right relationship with our God of covenant love. So, uh, let the words of this next song and the images that it conveys just wash over you as you reflect And then after the song is over, I'll come back up and close us in prayer. Would you pray with me? God, we are just overcome by your love for us. The way you look at us with love and with grace. The relationship you invite us into. God, as I think back to my own wedding day and the way I looked at my bride, to think that you look at us with even greater love, more pure love and commitment than that, it just blows our minds. And God, we thank you that you have shown yourself to be so faithful to us. And God, for those of us in the room who have whether recently or long ago committed our own faithfulness to you, who've received that gift of relationship with you, God, we admit there have been times where we haven't been faithful. We repent, we turn from those things, and we thank you that, God, we we know you're faithful to welcome us back into relationship and to offer us the forgiveness we need. We thank you, God, for that. And we just pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would empower us to more faithfully follow and obey. God, for those of us in this room who maybe never put our faith in you, maybe never even realized what you really invite us into, a relationship where we experience love and the fullness of life that comes from being connected in relationship with you. Today, we receive that gift. We turn from our sinfulness, we turn from our unfaithfulness, and we turn towards you, placing our trust and our faith in who you are, in your goodness, in your character, in your faithfulness to us. We commit to be faithful to you, and yet we pray for your grace and your forgiveness And we're not, and we just pray that you fill us and empower us by your Holy Spirit. Today, we enter into relationship with you. God, we love you. We thank you for meeting us here by your Spirit. Jesus, it's in your beautiful and powerful name that we pray. Amen. Folks, if if you're here and you did make a a commitment to Christ this morning, I'm so excited for you, and I invite you, if nothing else, tell somebody about that commitment. Our prayer team will be over here. They'd love to talk with you about that, pray with you about that. I would love to as well. Otherwise, uh, please go in peace. Enjoy the beautiful weather today, and uh, we'll see you next weekend as we look at what are the signs of the saved, the signs of living a life of faith. It's going to be great. So we'll see you next weekend. Thanks for coming, everybody.